0: Uh, Just give you a reminder tonight, uh, we are going to have a fellowship this evening following the service in honor of the Franklins, and we kind of send them off well, as they'll be leaving us uh, soon for, I believe, is it Oklahoma, I think? Is it Oklahoma? Got the right place? Okay. Not Alaska, Oklahoma. Okay. You know, my dad served in the military, and he went to um, Greenland one year. I was glad that was before I was born. So, we're good. Leaving Hurricane Alley to Tornado Alley. Wow, we can't get away from the storms, can we? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to be back tonight. Good to see everyone back here tonight. And um, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer if we can first. Before we open His Word, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have tonight to. We've had this morning to worship you, and now tonight as well, we're worshiping in song. And so that song we sung is so true, how we really desperately need you. And Father, I just pray that now as we look into your word, Father, I need you as we look into the scriptures. Just pray, Father, you just um, open our minds and our hearts to what your word has to say tonight, that we would be obedient servants. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. An obstacle is anything that stands in the way and hinders progress. I can imagine if we went around the room tonight and I gave you note cards and I were to ask you to write down an obstacle you're facing in your life right now or challenge, if you want to term it that way, Everybody would probably have at least one item, if not more, that they would place on that note card. We all are going to face obstacles in our lives that we we end up uh, coming across. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture tonight that I hope will help us in understanding how we deal with obstacles. And uh, really, we could sum it up with one simple, with two simple words, God And obedience really is what it's all about. But I want us to look at a a, a passage of Scripture. It's a fun passage of Scripture to look at. Sometimes I I like to preach some fun messages like this because it's stories we all know. And it just kind of gives us a good perspective on that from God. And I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. It's not going to be on the screen. Sorry about that. I hope you brought your Bibles tonight. The reason why is I'm not using the... Christian Standard Bible tonight. Uh, as you'll we'll notice a little later in the message, there's some verses that are translated differently that uh, the CSB translates in a way that leaves out some stuff that we would miss otherwise. But the, if you want to pull up your pew Bible, you can there. It's a King James version, but it'll be a little different when you read it with the New King James. Um, but we'll, we'll see some verses here, I think, that will kind of speak to our hearts, hopefully, About uh, obstacles. I want you to notice first of all look in verse 1 and 2. And let's describe the obstacle. And that's the obstacle of Jericho that is there. It says now Jericho was securely shut up. Because of the children of Israel. And none went out. And none came in. If you notice here in the scriptures, it says it was strongly fortified. In the Old Testament language, those words are in the emphatic position. That when the reader read that, they were understanding that this this town of Jericho was really shutting things down, preparing for war. And we know why, because if you back up a chapter to chapter 5, look at that very first verse, it tells us, says, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now Joshua uh, is facing his first challenge after they've crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land. Remember, they had been traveling for over 40 years in the wilderness because of Israel's rebellion. And now they were crossing over into the promised land. Remember the promised land as we've been studying in Genesis. uh, The reason they were in Egypt was because they had left the promised land because of the famine and they stayed there in Egypt and as a result, they got into slavery uh, put into slavery and now they were set free and now they're going back to the land that really belongs to them the land that had been promised to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and so they're tightly shut up they're scared to death but I want to remind you Psalm 127 verse 1 says unless the Lord watches over the city the watchmen stand guard in vain and Jericho was about to learn a lesson uh, that was so true that they were not going to be able to stand up to the Lord, their God, uh, the Lord, the God of Is- the Israelites. And so it was tightly set up. But the Lord, in verse 2, in this obstacle, he does ensure them a victory. Remember, I'm sure that Joshua was probably concerned about how they were going to handle this city and uh, how they were going to deal with it. And in the previous chapter, the Lord shows up and tells Joshua, When Joshua asks him, whose side are you on? Uh, The Lord answers, says, neither. I've come to take command. And so Joshua realizes that the Lord is in complete control of what was going to happen in the promised land. And in verse 2, he gives them this word of victory, of, of assuring them. He says, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, Joshua, at this point, isn't told exactly how it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, as we're going to read the passage further through, it's something that really seems to not make sense. But yet he is promised by God that if he trusts him, he's going to see that victory that's there and he would have to see it with the eyes of faith. And as you go through the uh, book of Joshua and you read about the different victories that happened as well as the failures that happened, one of the things that, that shines forth throughout the book is that God desires to get the glory in everything he does and even in this victory in uh, jericho you're going to see god is going to get the glory in this and it reminds me that anytime i'm facing obstacles anytime god overcomes those obstacles in my life uh, i need to be careful to overcome the sin of temptation of pride and take it upon myself that i've overcome the obstacle but realize that i the any obstacles that are there that have been overcome with the Lord's help are there because God wants to get the glory in all of it. And we have to see with the eyes of faith. Someone once says, said these words, faith sees the invisible, believes in the incredible, and that God can do the impossible. And that's what faith is all about. It's not faith if we see it in front of us. It's faith when we believe, when we don't see the victory that's in front of us. Reminds me of an airline pilot that I uh, read about one time that was flying his plane into LaGuardia Airport in New York and it was really cloudy and they c- he couldn't see the, op- the, the way to land and it was just nothing he could see in front of him and so he was listening to the radio tower as they radioed him in and, and he, as they were coming in for a landing, he, rem- he remembered a large pole that stood up before the runway that was some type of a tower. And he radioed back and said, I'm a little concerned about the tower that we're coming across, and I don't know what to do. And this is what the air traffic controller said to him. He said, you obey the instructions, we'll take care of the obstructions. I like that. That's pretty good advice in my life and your life, and not to worry about the obstructions that are there, but know that God is in complete control. And if we obey him, and follow him, God will take care of the rest of all that we run into with those situations. And so that's the obstacle of Jericho that they face. Now I want you to kind of look at the the instruction of God that's there. And in the instruction of God in verses 3 to 5, I want you to notice how God brings about three assurances to the Israelites that they're going to be able to take Jericho. Notice first of all, let's read verse 3 to 5 together. It says, And you shall march around the City, All you men of war, you shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with with a great shout. And then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him so he gives three assurances or three signs if you will that victory is going to be there first of all did you notice there's this assurance of completion that god was going to do this did you notice how often the number 7 was used there were seven priests carrying seven rams horns they would march around the city one time a day, but on the seventh day, they would march seven times. Now, those of you that have been studying the Bible for a while, you know that seven is the number of God. It's the number of completion, and the Israelites knew this. And so God could have said, take two priests. God could have said, march around the city seven to eight times every day. He could have said on the last day, just march around it once. But God specifically, I believe, chose that number seven to remind the Israelites that he was in control and he was going to complete it. And it was an assurance to them that God was going to complete what he had promised them, that he would be faithful. You know, we can read the scriptures time and time again, you and I can, of God's assurance of his faithfulness to us. Even when it seems like all hope is lost, we can always lean upon God and his word and him being faithful in whatever we face. Secondly, there's an assurance of victory that's there. Notice there is a word I want you to notice here that is mentioned here, and this is why I chose the New King James Bible tonight as opposed to the Christian Standard Bible. If you look at the CSB and the NIV, And some of the more modern translations, they will just say seven trumpets. But if you look at the New King James Version, uh, the uh, King James, I believe, does it. And also, I think, the New American Standard does it. They specifically leave the words in there describing the kind of trumpets. They say the ram's horns. And there's a reason why that is, I think, if you look at the passage. The word for trumpet is the word, of course, that you've heard before, shofar which refers to uh, the trumpet that is blown at festival times. But then there's another word that is used here. When When you see the word ram's horn, it is translating a different word for trumpet. The word there that is used is the word yobel. And what is fascinating about that word is it doesn't just mean ram's horn trumpet, but it also means synonymously as well the word jubilee. If you've studied your Bible for a while, you know what that's talking about. And I want to explain it to you a little bit, refresh your memory. The, the Israelites were commanded in Leviticus to be able to, uh, you know Leviticus, that's that book when we read our Bibles every day for a year, we get to it and we lose heart reading it. I, you, trust me, I'm right there with you. That's a hard book to read through. But it's got some fascinating stuff in it sometimes. And in Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about the sabbatical year. What that means is every 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 seven years, the Jews were commanded that what they had to do was they had to let the land rest fallow, and they also had to be able to the, to wipe out all their debts. Let's say I uh, bar, let Steve Carter uh, Steve Carter let me borrow a, a million dollars, and We went through six years, and the seventh year came, and I hadn't paid it all back. According to Jewish law, he had to forgive me of that debt, and he wouldn't get his money back. So the land laid fallow for during that time on the sabbatical year. They had to eat off the crops for what was done in the sixth year. Again, there was a sign of Israel trusting in God's faithfulness that he would provide. And on that seventh year, it would all lay fallow, and they would have to pay back the debts that were there. But then after seven sabbaticals had happened, 49 years was coming up. And on that 49th year, it was not a normal sabbatical. It was actually called to be the year of Jubilee. And what they had to do that time was they not only was it the fact that the land rested, not only was it the fact that if there was money owed, they didn't have to owe it, but if for some reason someone had uh, gone into servitude as a servant because he couldn't pay his, his ways and he was in poverty and, and I were to enslave myself or, or hire myself as a hired servant to another, another uh, person in the Jewish community, that on that 50th year, that year of Jubilee, I was released and no longer a slave. But not only that, if I had sold my land to someone, That was allotted to me in the tribe, and yet I needed to sell part of my land to be able to to pay my debts or take care of my family. When that year came about, my land would revert back to me or back to my relatives, and I wouldn't have to pay a dime for it. It wouldn't be anything done. It would just totally be wiped away and wiped back because the land belonged to me. And so God was giving them this assurance of victory that was there because he was reminding them, when you blow this trumpet, when you blow this ram's horn, when you blow this yobel, it is the first jubilee you're going to experience. And the land that was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's that you lost and you were in slavery, you're no longer a slave. And that land is no longer theirs. It belongs to you. And so God gave them that assurance of completion with the number seven, he gave them that assurance of victory with the Yobel, but he also gave them an assurance of God's presence and and with his covenant. Look in verse uh, four and verse six again, it says, and uh, the ark of the covenant is mentioned there, that they're going before the ark. And in verse six again, it says they're to take up the ark of the covenant in front of them. And In the scriptures, when you read about the ark, remember whenever they entered the Jordan, the ark went was the priest touched the waters first, holding the ark, and the water split. And the ark would go before them in battle. And the ark was a reminder of them of God's presence because God was present in the ark. And once a year, his presence would come down in the Holy of Holies and sit upon the ark of the covenant. So it would remind them when they saw the ark, it would remind them that God was present with them. But inside the ark, you had the articles that would remind them also, not only of his presence, but they had the rod of Aaron that that budded. It would remind them of God's power. It had the law of God that would remind them of the promises that God made. It would have the manna, a piece of manna in there that would remind them of God's provision. And so they had in front of them when they saw this ark, It reminded them of God's presence. It reminded them of God's power. It reminded them of God's provision. It reminded them of God's promises. And so he had an assurance in front of completion with that number seven. He had an assurance of that victory with the yobel, the blowing of that horn, reverting that land back to him. And he had a reminder of his presence and his covenant with the ark that was there. You know, when I read something like this and I see how God kept his words to the Israelites... I'm reminded again and again, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And just as God kept his promises to his people, we're his people too. And he will keep his promises to us as well. And we can lean on the promises of God, promises like Psalm 1 that says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he delights. And there's the promise. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does... He succeeds. He's prosperous. We can lean on promises like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. He'll guide your paths. I've been looking at this promise a lot lately in the past year or so from 1 Peter 3, 7, specifically given to husbands, telling us that as a husband, if I dwell with my wife with understanding of, and give her honor as the weaker vessel, that it says, Peter says, that your prayers may not be hindered. God makes a lot of promises in his word, and you and I can trust it, just like the Israelites could trust in the promises of God, you and I can trust in those promises as well in our lives. But here's the the kicker, and this is the question I have for you. How well do you know God's promises for you? How well do you do you know the scriptures enough to claim his promises to read his promises See it's it's not enough to say I believe in the promises of God but you got to know the promises of God which means you and I have to be in the word of God You know we live in such a biblically saturated society more so than it's ever been in our culture I mean, not only do we have a plethora of Bibles at our convenience. I mean, I I counted my Bibles I I have in my home one day. (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing. (laughs) I've got 50-something copies of the Bible. Just different Bibles that I have. And we've got such an ease to the Scriptures. But not just in in Bibles that we can have in our home, but, but books we can buy or... Sermons online that you can listen to on a regular basis. Even our pastor's sermons. Uh, Go back sometimes. I go back from time to time and we'll listen to some of his messages. Go back and and listen to some of the messages the pastor's preached. Or if you miss a Sunday and you're not here. Go and listen to what he had to say the Sunday before. And uh, just soak yourself in the word of God. And you and I, if we are going to claim and understand and know the promises of God, we must be in the word of God. And so the Israelites had the instruction from God that was there. Well, there's one final thing we're going to take a look at for a few minutes, and that is not only the instruction of God, but also the obedience to God. Remember what I said earlier when we started the message? You could pretty much sum it all up with the word obedience, because it's all about it. I mean, you know, the... The Christian life is not just about giving your life to Christ, but it's about also living your life for Christ and obeying him. And in uh, verse 6, he says this. Notice, I want you to notice, first of all, let's look at 6 to 16 briefly, the obedience in action that they did when they were asked to do this. It says, then Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and... Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, And the rear guard came after the ark, and while the priests priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I say to you, shout, and then you shall shout. And so he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once, and then they came back and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And then the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. So they did six days. But when it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, on that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. They had obedience and action that was there. They were told to go around the city. And what is fascinating to me is, remember, you've got to remember, there, there were millions of Israelites. Some scholars estimate there were as many as three million Israelites that had, that had come out of Egypt and crossed over the, eventually to the Jordan River. There were, there were millions. It wasn't just a few thousand. And notice verse 10. This is a fascinating one for me. Joshua said, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So they got up in the morning, and the priests were there, and the trumpets were there, and they went to march around the city, and they just marched. One time. Not a word spoken. And, went back, and then they went back to camp. And I'm sure the, the, the people of Jericho were looking over the wall going, what, what are they doing? What are they doing? Are they about to attack us? Are they about to come at us? Our wall's here. We're safe. And they did that one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days. Once around the wall and then back to camp. Once around the wall and then back to camp. Without saying a word. And then the seventh day. They get up. And they start marching around the camp. The wall. And they go one time. Now remember the the people of Jericho had already seen them do this. And they were probably expecting them to go back to camp. But all of a sudden they come around. And they don't go back to camp. They keep marching. And they keep marching. The trumpets are blowing. The people are not saying a word. And they go three, four, five, six, seven times. And then Joshua says, Shout, for the Lord has given us the city. And they shout. Now, I don't know what they shouted. I've often wondered why the scriptures do not tell us what they shouted. It may be because there was no specific instruction what to shout. Just to make a lot of noise. You know, sometimes you, you, you go to, you ever been at, at children's camp and, and you're with the kids and you're sitting on that front row and somebody says something exciting and they say, well, come on, make some noise. And what do they do? Ah! All kinds of noise. Anything they can think of coming out of their mouth. Maybe it was something like that where they just were just told to shout and they just went, Ah! Maybe, maybe they shouted something to the Lord. The Lord is God! We don't know. You ever write down those things or think about those things you're going to ask when you get to heaven? That's one of those things I want to know. Is that, was it, Joshua, was there a specific thing they shouted? They just make a lot of noise. I'm probably going to be disappointed with the answer. It's probably going to be they just made a lot of noise. But yet they did that, and they were obedient in their action. You know, see, God expects us to be obedient in our action no matter how ridiculous it seems sometimes. God tells us in his word in 1 Corinthians 1 that, that God brings, is brings the foolish to, make, uh, to not be wise. It seems like it's not wise, the foolish things we do. And confounds the wise with the foolish. Yet so often sometimes God will tell us things that don't make any sense at all. But we know without a doubt God's telling us in his word to do it. And so we need to be obedient in our actions. But second, notice they were also obedient in their consecration that they had. Look at verse 17. It says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. And that's another story. She and all who are with her in the house, because she had the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So this was the first city they were going into. It's kind of a first fruits in the land, if you will. And God said, I want you to understand something. You're going to be tempted and people are going to be tempted when they see all this gold and silver to take some of it for themselves. But if you do that, you're going to bring a curse upon the people of God. And sure enough, you just read the next chapter, you see what happens with Achan. Achan and his family. And again, that's another story. But it reminds us again of how that God cherishes us to obey him, uh, even in something that seems so insignificant as taking treasury and and taking it upon yourselves. We could probably do a whole sermon on tithing just from that verse alone. But yet, I want you to understand that that we need to know that it's not just obedience in action, but there's obedience in our consecration, realizing that everything that God gives us, everything that God does for us, it belongs to Him. And we're just entrusted to it as His stewards, and we're to do with it what He tells us to do with it. So there's that obedience and consecration. But then there's also the fact that obedience does bring victory. Look at verse 20 to 25. It says, so the people shouted, and when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, and then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out of the country, go into the harlot's house. And from there, bring out the woman, all that she has, and as you swore to her, speaking about Rahab. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, and only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the Lord, of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua, whom Joshua sent to spy out. Sounds kind of harsh when you read that. But if you go back and read the scriptures prior to this in the Old Testament, in the, uh, the uh, book of, um, of Joshua and before that even, God gave the people that they were going into the promised land to take the opportunity to give it up, the opportunity to worship God, but basically they refuse. And, you know, I, I don't claim to understand everything about God's character and wisdom when it comes to stuff like this. I just trust that God had a great reason for doing it because he's God. And we told him to destroy all the all the oats, yo, the goats and the oxen and the women and the children that's where i have to trust in god's sovereignty he knows what he's doing and so they had that obedience brought victory that they had they obeyed his instructions to the letter of the law of what god had given them to do some of you may have heard you say heard me say this before but I want to remind you again that you and I can't achieve victory in our lives without obedience. And partial obedience is disobedience in God's sight. We can't pick and choose with God what we will obey in his word and what we'll not obey in his word. I am flabbergasted when I look at the church in America today and see so many churches that are picking and choosing different parts of the scripture to say it's, ob- it's, it's biblical, and other parts to say it's, oh, that was just the culture then. It's not biblical. We don't have that right to do that. <laughs> you and I are to obey God's word fully and know that victory comes because, not because we're, we're God is just going to give us victory because we're obedient, but because God is God, and as we surrender to him and as we yield to him, the victory becomes because we're surrendering to the God of victory that gives the victory. Does that make sense? And so the Israelites ended up getting victory. But one more thing. Not only is it, it was there action in obedience and, and not just the consecration and not just the victory that came from it, but there's also the fact that obedience is expected in the future. Look at verse 26. Then Joshua charged them at the time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. See, God doesn't want vic- uh, obedience just in the present, but he wants it every day that we continue to live. Matter of fact, uh, I'm just going to read it to you. You can turn to it when you get home. If you look at the book of 1 Kings chapter 16. And the very last verse. This is during the days of Ahab. And Ahab was probably one of the most. If not the most wicked king that Israel had. And he was one that just always flew in the face of God. Defying him. And you remember his wife. uh, Her name Jezebel. Jezebel. I don't know about you, but I've never met anyone that's named their child Jezebel. That's how wicked that name seems to have carried with it. But anyway, look at what happens in the day of Rahab. Listen to these words, or Ahab. Verse 34, it says, In his days, meaning in Ahab's days, Hael of Bethel built, rebuilt Jericho. And he laid its foundations with Iram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Segeb, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. When that man made that choice to rebuild Jericho with Ahab's permission, God kept his word that Joshua spoke, and it cost the lives of his two children. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how it cost them their lives. We don't know if it was during the building process that it happened or if it happened to do with the pagan religion of the day because some of those pagan religions believe that when you were building something and consecrating something to their gods, you would take the life of your dear children as an offering to that God for that building or that place to be blessed. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that God held true to his word. That when they disobeyed what Joshua said in the future... Several hundred years ahead, it cost them the lives of his children. And God was sending a message. Hey, I don't forget what I say. And and I want you to know, even today, several, a couple thousand years plus after God has finished his word, he hasn't forgotten what he said in it. He still expects us to obey it. It doesn't matter what the culture says around us, what people around us say we ought to believe. That doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we're obedient to what God has always said in his word. Amen? There's a story of a little boy (laughs) that got mad at his mom. He was so angry at his mom, he looked at her, he was four years old at the time and he said mom I am just gonna run away from home And mom said fine so the boy he gets on his tricycle and he goes in front of the house and he just starts riding up and down the sidewalk just furiously running up and down up and down up and down back and forth back and forth and a police officer was driving by and he noticed the boy and was kind of watching for a minute. He noticed the boy got madder and madder and yet was riding furious, more and more furiously back and forth and back and forth. And he finally got out of his car and he walked up to the boy and stopped and said, whoa, 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 son, whoa, 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 what what are you doing riding so so hard on the sidewalk here? What's wrong? He said, I told my mom I'm running away from home. He said, well, son, what's that got to do with you riding your tricycle back and forth on the sidewalk? He said, well, My mom said I can't cross the street. (laughs) Listen, the story is this. (laughs) As long as we stay close to God and obey him, we're close to the one who loves us. God sets those boundaries and parameters in our lives for a reason. And obedience is so important in the Christian walk. You know, one of the sad indictments that's happening in the church in America today, and I hear it all the time, and you probably heard it too, well, I don't go to church because I don't see any difference in the way a so-called Christian lives his life and the way I live my life. So why should I listen? You know what they're saying when they say that, don't you? They're saying, you talk about following God, but I don't see that. You talk about living for God, but I don't see that. I don't see it. If ever there was a day in our culture where people can see the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, in our culture, it's today. It doesn't take long to get in a conversation with someone and find out if they're a believer or not and how they live their life. This past week, I'll close with this. I was at um, the park with my granddaughter. She was in town, Autumn. And she wanted to go to uh, the park in Georgetown and get on the um, swing set, to swim. I was kind of surprised she wanted to get on the swing set, but she didn't want to swim. <laughs> 90-something degrees outside, and she's like, Okay. Randall, do whatever you want. Let's go. So we're out there, and, and I'm pushing on the swing, and uh, this 59-year-old body got kind of tired after a while of pushing, and I, I, and I looked over, and there was a, a bench in the shade, and on that bench was a young man sitting there. And so I said, you go ahead and push. I'm going to be sitting over the bench if you, if you need me. So I went down, and I sat down and started to strike up a conversation, and... It didn't take two minutes before we got into talking about the Bible. Twenty-four, five-year-old young man. And it took less than 30 seconds after that to find out he was a believer in Christ. And it took 30 seconds after that to find out he wasn't just a believer in Christ, but he was a very strong believer in Christ. And he'd gone to school over in Utah where the Mormons were. And he was discipled by a young man that was a Christian there who discipled him in his faith. And he was, ve- I mean, he was saying things in apologetics about Mormonism that I didn't even know. And he was very learned in the scripture. So, you see, it doesn't take long in the culture for you to be around someone to, to see if they're a believer or not a believer. And it sure, certainly shouldn't take long in our culture for someone that, that sees you to know that you are a believer. And that you live a life of obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's stand together. As uh, Brother Jeffrey plays for us. I encourage you to make whatever decision God would lead you to make this, this evening. As we bow our heads silently.